Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Effective Altruism Forum Weekly. My name is Colin Snell. This episode will cover articles, the top articles, that is, from the Effective Altruism Forum from the 5th to 11th of December 2022. And we can go ahead and jump right into it with the philosophy methodology section for this week. The first article this week is called Promoting Compassionate Long-Termism by John Lean. Some suffering is bad enough that non-existence is preferable. The lock-in of uncompassionate systems through things like AI or AI-assisted governments, authoritarianism, could cause mass suffering in the future on a scale unimaginable. OPUS, otherwise known as the Organization for the Prevention of Intense Suffering, has, until now, worked on projects to help ensure that people in severe pain can get access to effective medications. In the future, they plan to, quote, address the very principles of governance, ensure that all significant causes of intense suffering receive adequate attention, and promote strategies to prevent lock-in totalitarianism, end quote. One concrete project with this is a full-length film to inspire people with this vision and lay out actionable steps. They're looking support in the forum donations and time. The next article is titled, Do Brains Contain Many Conscious Subsystems? If so, should we act differently? by Bob Fisher, Adam Shriver, and Michael Est Jules. The fifth post in the Moral Weight Project sequence, this article looks at the conscious subsystems hypothesis, which says that brains have subsystems that realize phenomenally conscious states that aren't accessible to the subjects we typically associate with those brains, namely the ones who report their experience to us. Some have argued that humans are more likely to have conscious subsystems, so risk-neutral expected utility maximizers should weigh human welfare higher relative to other animals. The authors argue against this on three points. First, if humans have conscious subsystems, other animals probably do too. Second, theories of consciousness that support the conscious subsystems hypothesis also tend to support the hypothesis that many small invertebrates are also sentient. Third, risk-neutral expected utility maximizers are committed to assumptions, including the assumption that all welfare counts equally. The post also discusses claims that support the conscious subsystem hypothesis, but assigns low credence to these. Overall, the authors suggest we should not act on the conscious subsystem hypothesis due to a lack of evidence and a lot of questions that remain unanswered. Moving on to the object-level interventions and review section, the first article we have is called Race to the Top, Benchmarks for AI Safety by uh, Izad one, I think is how you pronounce it. I-S-A-D-U-A-N. AI safety benchmarks make it easier to track the field's progress, create incentives for researchers, particularly in China, to work on problems relevant to AI safety and develop auditing and regulations around advanced AI systems. The author argues that this should be given higher priority than it currently is listed as, and that we can't assume good benchmarks will be developed by default. They suggest AI safety researchers help by identifying traits for benchmarks, viable future benchmarks and their prerequisites, or creating benchmarks directly. AI governance professionals can help by organizing workshops, competitions, prizes around benchmarking, researching on how benchmarks could be used, and advising safety researchers on this. The author also argues that it could be really useful to popularize a race-the-top narrative on AI safety. The next article is by Matthias K.B., it's called Why Development Aid is Really Exciting as a Field. Wealthy countries spend a collective $178 billion on development aid per year, around 25% of all giving worldwide. Some aid projects have been cost-effective on a level with GiveWell's top charity recommendations, 
while others have caused straight-out harm. Aid is usually distributed via a several-step process. This looks like, first, decide to spend money on aid. Many countries signed a 1970 UN resolution to spend 0.7% of GNI on official development assistance. Second, government decides a general strategy and set of principles. Third, the government passes a budget, assigning dollars to different aid subcategories. Fourth, the country's aid agency decides on projects, subprojects that is, according to those budget restrictions, as well as principles and strategies. Sometimes this is donating to intermediaries like the UN or WHO. Sometimes it's just direct work or implementation. And five, projects are implemented. The area is really large and tractability is really hard to quantify, but there are many pathways and some past successes show that this is a really viable place for impact. This is expressed in examples through a grassroots EA campaign in Switzerland, redirected funding, and the US aid agency ran a cash bench benchmarking experiment with Give Directly. The author notes that right now there are very few organizations focused on this area compared to the scale of the problem and scale of the potential outcome. The author and their co-founder have been funded to start an organization in this area. Get in touch if you're interested in global development and policy. The next article is called Visualizing the Development Gap by Stephen Clare. The U.S. poverty threshold below which one qualifies for government assistance is $6,625 per person for a family of four. In Mawali, however, one of the poorest countries in the world, the median income is a twelfth of that, while that is also adjusted for purchasing power. Without a change in growth rates, it will take Mawali almost two centuries to catch up to, to where the U.S. is today. This example illustrates development gap, the difference in living standards between high and low-income countries. Working on this is important both for the well-being of those alive today and because it allows those alive today to participate more meaningfully in humanity's most important century and therefore help those in the future as well. The next article is by Carolina Sarek and Joey, and it's called The 2022 Incubated Charities, Charity Entrepreneurship. Five new charities have launched as a result of the June through August 2022 incubation program, and these are the following. The Center for Effective Aid Policy, which identifies and promotes high-impact development policies and interventions. The next is the Center for Exploratory Altruism Research, or SEARCH, which is a very clever acronym, I like that. Conducting Cause Prioritization Research and Outreach. Next is the Maternal Health Initiative, producing transformative benefits to women's health, agency, and income through increased access to family planning. Next, we have Kaya Guides, reducing depression and anxiety among youth in low- and middle-income countries. And last is the Vida Plena, building strong mental health in Latin America. In 2023, there will be two incubation programs, the first of which applications have already closed for, and the second is still open, where you can sign up at the link listed in the article, and that will run through June through August. The next article is titled, You Should Consider Launching an AI Startup by Josh C., AR startups can be big money makers, particularly as capabilities scale. The author argues that money is key to AI safety because money does the following. It can convert into talent via funding AI safety industry labs offering compute to safety researchers and funding competitions, grants, and fellowships. This is doubly true if the bottleneck becomes engineering talent and data sets instead of creative researchers. Next, money can convert into direct influence through lobbying, buying board seats, and soft power. And lastly, money is flexible and always useful. 
The author thinks another $10 billion AI company would be unlikely to counterfactually accelerate timelines by more than a few weeks, and that money and reduced time to AGI trade-off seems very much so worth it. They also argue that the transformative potential of AI is becoming well-known, and now is the time to act to benefit from our foresight on it as a community. They're looking for a full-stack developer as a co-founder for their specific project. Information in the article is listed. Some of the notable comments from this post include do the maths comment about this line of thinking, specifically trade-offs between money and accelerating timelines for AI technology, uh, are really tricky. And there is a linked post to a article on the Less Wrong Forum called A Note About Differential Technological Development by Soares, and it's quite good and I highly recommend it. Either way, the discussion in the comments under Josh C's post is really, really important if you're interested in going into the field of AI, startup, and technology-related enterprises. And next, we have our weekly Lizka post, and this time it's called Smallpox Eradication. Smallpox was confirmed as eradicated on December 9th, 1979. Our world and data has a great explorer on its history and how eradication was achieved. Smallpox killed 300 million people in the 20th century alone, and is the only human disease to have ever been completely eradicated. It also led to the first ever vaccine, after Edward Jenner demonstrated that exposure to cowpox, a related but less severe disease, protected against smallpox. In the 19th and 20th centuries, further improvements were made to the vaccine. In 1959, the WHO, the World Health Organization that is, not the band, launched a global project to eradicate smallpox entirely, including efforts to vaccinate, particularly those in contact with infected individuals or ring vaccination. Isolate those infected and monitor the spread. They eventually contained the virus primarily to India, where 86% of cases were there in 1974, and with a final major vaccine, vaccination program in PUSH, those cases dropped to zero in 1976. One of the most incredible achievements in human history. So thank you for writing that post on that, Liska. The next section is giving recommendations and year-end updates. The first post is by Jeff Kaufman called Our 2022 Giving. For the past several years, Julie and Jeff have donated 50% of their income to charity, divided between GiveWell and the EA Infrastructure Fund. After a decrease in salary to focus on direct work, they're planning to do the same for 2022. They did this for the sake of simplicity and because the greater funding needed post the FTX situation. They'll reevaluate the percentage in 2023. The next post is by So Give and Isabel P. It's called So Give Grants, a promising pilot, our reflections and payout report. So Give is a EA-aligned research organization and think tank. In 2022, they ran a pilot grants program granting 223,000 pounds to six projects out of 26 initial applicants. And these were the following. £93,000 to the Founders Pledge to hire an additional climate researcher, £62,000 to Effective Institutions Project for a granting project, Dobum received £35,000, which is a Brazilian effective giving platform to continue scaling, Jack Davies was awarded £30,000 for research improving methods to scan for neglected X risks, Paul Ingram was given £21,000 to pull on how nuclear winter info affects nuclear armament support, and the Social Change Lab was given 18,400 to work on several different projects, including social movements and researching their potential impact. The funds were sourced from private donors, mainly people earning to give. If you'd like to donate, you can contact Isabel at 
sogive.org. They advise future grant applicants to lay out their theory of change, even if their project is one of small impact or potential aim. Reflect on how you came to your topic and if you're the right fit, consider the downside risk. The article also includes different reflections and advice for others starting grant programs, and they're happy to discuss this with anyone. The next post is called Announcing the Blue Dot Impact by Dewey Irwin, Jamie Bernardi, and Will Saunter. Blue Dot Impact is a nonprofit running course that supports participants develop the knowledge, community, and network need to pursue high-impact careers. The courses focus on literature in high-impact fields, in addition to career opportunities in this space, and bring together interested participants to help build networks and collaborations. They've made multiple improvements over the past few months, including working with pedagogy experts to make discussion sessions more engaging, formalizing the course design process, building systems to improve participant networking, setting up downstream opportunities for participants to pursue after the course, and building their team. You can register if you're interested for future courses in the link that they provide. Next, we have an article by Dean Spears called Rice's Neonatal Life-Saving Partnership is Fun by GiveWell, a description of what we do. RICE, or R-I-C-E, collaborates with the government of Uttar Pradesh and an organization in India to promote Kangaroo Mother Care, KMC, which is a well-established tool for increasing survival rates of low birth weight babies. They developed a public-private partnership to cause the government's KMC guidelines to be implemented cost-effectively in a public hospital. Their best estimate based on combination of implementation costs and pre-existing research is that it costs around $1,800 per life saved. However, they're unsure and they're planning to compare survival rates in the hospital targeted versus others in the region next year. Both Founders Pledge and GiveWell have made investments this year. They welcome further support, which you can donate to in the link that they provide. Donations will help maintain the program, scale it up, do better impact evaluation, and potentially expand to other hospitals if they find good implementation partners. Moving on to the opportunity section for this week, the first is an announcement from Rethink Priorities that they're hiring once again. They're looking for help and support for their communication work. These include specifically that their operations department is hiring a chief of staff, developmental professional, and communication strategy professional which the application is closed for on the 8th of January. There are also other open positions that will be announced or already are announced that you can find on their career pages if you would like more information. Moving on to the community and media section, we have one post called What Specific Changes Should We as a Community Make to the Effective Altruism Community by Nathan Young. The author is collecting ideas in the comment section, which will then be added to Polis, Polis allows people to vote on different ideas and group similar voters together to better understand the different clusters in the community for suggested changes. The suggestions with the highest consensus or high consensus within specific clusters will be put in a Google Doc for further research. The next is an article called Learning from Non-EAs Who Seek to Do Good by Sabahan underscore M. The author asks whether EA aims to be a question about doing good effectively or a community based around ideology. In their experience, it has mainly been the latter, but many EAs have expressed they'd prefer it to be the former. They argue the best concrete step toward EA as a question would be to collaborate more with people outside the EA community without attempting to bring them into the community. This includes policymakers on local and national levels, people with the years of experience in the fields that EA works in, and people who are most affected by EA-backed programs. Specific ideas here include EAG actively recruiting these people, 
EA groups co-hosting more joint community meetups, EA orgs measuring preferences of those impacted by their programs, applying evidence-based decision-making to all fields, not just the top cause areas, engaging with people and critiques outside the EA ecosystem, funding and collaborating with non-EA orgs via EA grants and different organizations, and granting programs, that is, and EA orgs hiring non-EAs. The next article is by Jamie Sevilla, and it's called The Spanish-Speaking Effective Altruism Community is Awesome. Since Sandra Malagón and Laura González were funded to work on growing the Spanish-speaking EA community, it's really taken off. There have been 40 introductory fellowships, two university groups started, two camps, many dedicated community leaders, translation projects, sevenfold activity on Slack versus 2022, and a community fellowship slash new hub in Mexico City. If you're keen to join in, the Slack workspace is linked and anyone English or Spanish-speaking can both apply to EAG Latin America. The next post is by Arepo and it's called Revisiting EA's Media Policy. CEA follows fidelity model of spreading ideas, which claims because EA ideas are nuanced and the media often isn't, media communication should only be done by those qualified and who are confident that the media will report the ideas exactly as stated. The author argues against this on four points. First, Sometimes many people doing something, quote, close to is better than few doing it exactly. Few vegans versus many reductionarians. Second, if you don't actively engage the media, large proportion of coverage will be from detractors and therefore negative. It's arguably exactly what has happened in many ways. Third, EA's core ideas are not that nuanced. Most critics have different emotional responses or critiques on how it's put into practice rather than get, getting anything specifically factually wrong. Fourth, the fidelity model contributes to hero worship and concentration of power in EA. The author suggests further discussion on this policy, acknowledgement from CEA of the issues with it, experimenting with other approaches in low-risk settings, and historical slash statistical research into what approaches have worked for other groups. The next article is called Announcing the Audio Narrations of EA Forum Posts by Peter Hartree, Shrong Padek, JP Assen, Liska, and Type3 Audio. You can now subscribe to a podcast of EA Forum human-narrated content, including this podcast episode, as well as top posts and these weekly summaries. Hint, hint, this. Post narrations will also appear on the post itself. You can click the speaker button to listen to them. Nonlinear library will continue to generate AI narrations of a large number of posts on a separate feed with quality improvements also planned. Very exciting stuff, people. The next article is called, Why Did CEA Buy Wintham Abbey? By Drone W. Last year, CEA bought Wintham Abbey, a substantial estate in Oxford, to establish as a center to run workshops and meetings. Some media on this is suggested or suggests that it was extremely expensive, upwards of 15 million pounds. Though it seems like CEA bought around 1% of the land that figure was based on, not the entire thing. The author questions if this was a cost-effective purchase and asks CEA to share reasoning and EV calculations to ensure we're not rationalizing lavish expenses. The next post is by Gemma Patterson. It's called EA Taskmaster Game. Resources, how-tos, and reflections for an EA-themed game the author ran that was a mix between a scavenger hunt, the TV show Taskmaster, and a party quest game. There were various tasks for teams to complete within a time limit, which award points not always in relation to difficulty, and had different scoring mechanisms. E.g. winner takes all, split between submissions, all people get the points, etc. 
The idea was that prioritization of which task to complete would be best done using the scale, neglectedness, and tractability framework. And that doing that would be really fun. The next is a collection of posts, specifically two, called first of which being called SFF Speculation Grants as an Expedited Funding Source by Andrew Critch, and the second being SFF is Doubling Speculation, Rapid Grant Budgets, FDX Grantees Should Consider Applying by Zhu Yan. The Survival and Flourishing Fund, otherwise known as SFF, funds many long-termist, X-risk, and meta-projects. Its Speculation Grants Program, otherwise known as S-Grants, can fund charities and projects hosted by organizations with charity status, with some applications able to be reviewed in days and paid out within a month. In response to the recent extraordinary need from the FTX fiasco, Juan Tillen, the main funder of, of SFF, is doubling speculation budgets. Grantees impacted by recent events should really consider applying. The next article is actually a link post by Brian Kay called, If We Don't End Factory Farming Soon, It Might Be Here Forever. It is a link post to an article from Forbes that reads, quote, Once rooted, value systems tend to persist for an extremely long time. And when it comes to factory farming, there's reason to believe we may be at an inflection point. End quote. The article as Brian Kay points out, references what we owe the future and argues that AI may lock in the values of today, including factoring farming. The next is a link post to an interview with SBF on Will McCaskill, Earn to Give, and EA by Teddy Schleifer. This is, as I said, a link post to a recent interview from the author focused on Will McCaskill, effective altruism, and whether Earn to Give led him to make the mistakes he made at FDX. One key section quote in the comments states, that SBF has not talked to Will McCaskill since FDX collapsed, and F SBF feels, quote, incredibly bad about the impact of this on EA and on him, end quote. Further, SBF has also said in the interview, quote, he feels a duty to sort of spend the rest of my life doing what I can to try and make things right as I can, end quote. He also gives confirmation that a previous reference to a, quote, dumb game that we woke Westerners play, end quote, was in regard to corporate social responsibility and DSG. The next article is an announcement by David Nash saying EA London rebranding to EA UK. The EA London website and newsletter has been rebranded to EA UK. The UK has a population of 67 million, only 14% of which live in a place with a paid group organi organizer. These are London, Oxford, and Cambridge. Setting up EA UK will help provide virtual support, one-on-ones, newsletter, directory, project advice, etc., and may encourage more local groups to set up by making it easier to find other EAs in the area. The next article is called Binding Fuzzies and Udalons Together by Elena and Louis Moda. Some interventions are neglected because they have less emotional appeal. EA typically tackles this by redirecting more resources there. The author suggests we should also tackle the cause by designing marketing to make them more emotionally appealing. This could generate significant funding, more EA members, and faster engagement. As an example, the Make-A-Wish website presents specific anecdotes about a sick child, while the Against Malaria Foundation website focuses on statistics. Psychology shows the former is much more effective at generating charitable behavior. Downsides of this that the author include are the following, potential organizational and personal value drift and reduction in relative funding for long-termist areas if these are harder to produce emotional content for. 
they have a high uncertainty and suggest a few initial research directions that EAs with a background psychology could take to develop this further. Well, folks, that is our episode for this week. Thank you once again, as always, to Tier 3 Audio and the rest of the team that makes this episode possible and this series possible. Thank you to Zoe for the wonderful summaries and rethink priorities, as well as our funding organizations. Thank you all again. My name is once again Colin Snell, and as always, remember to engage with the work that is meaningful and to cultivate that sense of purpose and meaning in the work you're doing in EA and outside of it. Meaning motivates. Have a good one, you guys. See you next week.